Welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Izzy, and I'll be sharing the stories of industry leaders, creatives, and entrepreneurs paving a path for future generations to come. This podcast wouldn't be possible without our sponsor, Yellow Brick, which empowers dreamers to achieve their calling. With programs in film, performing arts, streetwear, music, sneakers, and so many more, it's truly taking their students and teaching them their passions, turning their passion into side hustle, and turning their side hustle into careers. So if you're interested, check them out at yellowbrick.co. Honesty Hour. I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.com. FM to get started today. What's up, guys? Today I have on an extremely dope guest. Uh, I, she's done a ton in the industry, and I can give you a massive bio. I can read the bio that she sent over, but I think it would be uh, way better coming from her mouth. So today I want to invite Stephanie Howard. Thanks for jumping on. Thank you. So, Stephanie, anybody that's listening, do you want to give like a, a brief intro as to who you are, what you do, and uh, what you've accomplished in your in your short career this far? <laughs> I like that you called it short. Um, <laughs> so, well, uh, by trade, I'm a designer. I went to school for industrial design. I've been working in the product design industry for over 25 years now. Uh, much of it in the sports industry and spent many years designing sneakers for brands like Nike, New Balance, Reebok. Um, I'm also a board member of Women in Sports Tech, which we call WIST. Um, and I'm a co-founder of our newest initiative called WIST Next Gen, which exposes middle and high school girls to exciting careers and ensuring um, that we're outreach, you know, making sure that we have outreach to underserved communities through alliances and partnerships. Um, because this is such an exciting industry to be in, um, you know, sneakers, yes, but also just the entire sort of sports tech um, continuum. And mm -hmm. uh, we want to introduce young people to it to, to get them excited about a career here too. Um, but uh, if you want more detail on um, the different types of roles I've had at each of those companies, I'm happy to go into it. Or yeah, if, yeah sure. Okay, so I did start off my career at New Balance. Um, right out of school. Uh, as I said, I studied industrial design and I was a footwear designer and I had an amazing team there, small team of designers, but an amazing team of mentors. Uh, so when I started there, I didn't have any background in sneakers. I uh, went, uh, when I went to school, they, the program didn't talk, you know, didn't do anything on the, um, in footwear. So a lot of the stuff that I had learned in school was, you know, uh, housewares or, you know, office supplies or big, uh, you know, industrial equipment design, um, a whole big mix of things, but it wasn't um, footwear. So I had to learn sort of on the job. And uh, at, so I spent a few years at New Balance, eventually becoming the lead designer of the team. And so um, went from just designing sort of all the shoes in the running line 
to you know working on you know, understanding trends and what the design language would be for the whole brand and all the products um, from you know cross training and I think we had basketball at the time to uh, running and walking etc. Uh, so then I went moved on to Reebok and spent a, a couple years there and then I uh, was lucky to um, be recruited to Nike and at Nike I did two very different types of roles. The first one was in um, running footwear design where I was uh, leading the initiative to do women's running shoes. Um, you know they'd always had men's and women's running but they were looking to sort of really think about women consumers differently and you know what our needs were and so um, for the first couple years I spent at Nike I was uh, working on the sort of the running line specific to um, these insights that we found with women runners and then I switched did kind of a bit of a zag to Nike Bauer hockey so Nike huh. and Bauer were both um, brands that you would say competed against each other um, in you know in, in the you know at retail but they were both owned you know so they were owned under the Nike umbrella and so I um, at first started just working on all the Nike product and that included um, not just the hockey skates but also inline skates and we did some roller skates and it was it was a pretty fun time there was inline skating was was still kind of a big trend at the time and yeah. really big big trend in Europe um, which was really fun they would close the streets of Munich for the you know everyone in the city to go on you know on these inline skating adventures it was, it was really fun um, but in the on the hockey side um, we you know they, they decided to sort of change the organization at some point and I became the design director for all of Nike and Bauer hockey so then I was working on both brands and that's when you know it was really important to distinguish the positioning between the two brands so that I could create a um, sort of a vision for each and design language would then follow. And I had a great team of designers. Um, they were in, Mont in Montreal at the time and I was working out of um, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And, uh, but it, it, so I, I learned how to do the remote thing pretty early. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but it was, I mean, it was just a really a great experience at Nike. It was a very sort of big, um, all different types of things that I learned. And being in a subsidiary of Nike was really interesting because I could go back to the campus and um, you know meet with everybody in the different innovation teams and see what they were doing and sort of bring it back to our team. So it felt like a little bit like I was in more of like a small type of startup <laughs> um, yeah. group, but at the same time, part of this really big, amazing organization with really great resources. Um, What's um? Yep. just based off of the experience at Nike, what, what was I, there had to be some challenges with the Nike and Bauer conversation because if if I'm not mistaken, Bauer was this uh, brand that was literally like you think hockey, you think Bauer, yeah. and yeah. Uh, that wasn't the case with Nike. So how was how was Nike's like how was Nike perceived in that industry, and how did that change yeah. during your time? Well, it was, I mean, you were right. So I, I got there after they had already been in the industry for, or sorry, in hockey for quite a few years. Um, mm -hmm. And so there, there was a little history to how they entered <laughs> into hockey. And I think they did it a little bit, um, I don't know if the word aggressively, um, but, but they, they came in thinking, you know, Nike could, do, you know, was very successful at dominating sports by, you know, signing some big names. And I believe they had Gretzky and, 
so um, so they came in big, but I think that um, the product might have been early on just a little too innovative. So by the time I got mm. there, uh, they had been you know sort of like let's let's start from a foundation of what's working really well in hockey, and then build off of that with a Nike positioning. And a Nike positioning is always breakthrough innovation. So when I said too innovative, I don't know, maybe it was a little bit ahead of its time in terms of what they had done. Um, but we knew that they had to be more of that sort of um, breakaway hockey, breakaway style of hockey player. Um, whereas uh, Bauer was definitely the heartbeat of hockey, right? So, um, but both uh, teams, I mean, we all worked together as a team, you know, the innovation group was working for both. And, uh, you know, they both at the time, we were producing really innovative product, like super lightweight hockey skates um, in the Nike Supreme and the Nike Vape. Sorry, I said Nike Bauer <laughs> Supreme and Bauer <laughs> Vapor lines and the Bauer Vapor line. I mean, that was that was just a massive success all the way oh, through. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, they so they, they definitely had very different um, <laughs> places in in sort of the minds of the hockey players and we were able to use that for the positioning and the design language and sort of to build off of who each brand you know each brand's identity was um but uh eventually they ended up not you know leaving the nike branded ended up sort of selling bauer and they don't own bauer anymore and they yeah. um they no longer have um you know their brand in hockey and i think a lot of it was we, we were actually doing quite well we had um pretty good growth over the years that I was there. Um, it's just that the business of hockey was quite small and Nike had, you know, all these other places that they could grow and they can only, they only have so much, they have great resources, but they only have so much. So they had to kind of put it in places where they felt they could grow even more. And the hockey industry certainly wasn't growing that big that fast. That's a, it's super interesting. I, my first job in high school, uh, I worked at a played against sports and oh, yeah. It was in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, and little did I know, I grew up a, a baseball dude, so I didn't know anything about hockey, and uh, I had to learn very quickly about what was the premier skate, um, why, like I had to, I, I learned how to sharpen skates, I'm pretty sure I can sharpen a, a pretty damn good skate today, um, I, I would like to think so, but uh, it was really interesting to see the difference um, because I was at the time, I'm I'm learning, and my uh, the owner of the Played Against Sports always told me like, hey, we have to pay top dollar for any Bauer skate that came in. But that wasn't that wasn't said when a Nike skate came in, and it was always different because we, at the same time, I'm buying uh, Nike Nike products in different industries and in, in baseball and in soccer and all this stuff, and we pay top dollar for that. But that wasn't the case with hockey, so that's that's very very interesting to see how those how that ultimately started changing over time. Um, because even in my time at Played Again, I, um, in my last couple of years, we started paying top dollar for not only Bauer, but the Nike products as well. So yes. uh, very interesting. Yeah. Kudos what, to um, the innovation team I worked with there that <laughs> we're, we're building great <laughs> products for both brands. <laughs> what, uh, as a designer, um, in your entire time, uh, every stop that you've made, how, how important was was story it is story uh when you have this amazing product but there's nothing to really attach a consumer with like how much time is really put into that story and do you think it's uh it should be more or, or less uh, when it goes out into the consumer world yeah 
Well, I mean, I, I think story is everything and story alone um, doesn't do it. You have to have the insights that drive the story, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I worked, at, I was telling you at Nike, I also worked at Seventh Generation, which was um, totally outside the industry, household, personal um, care brand um, in focused on sustainability. But between Seventh Generation and Nike, those two experiences um, they really sort of gave me this amazing foundation in, un- in uncovering insights. And so um, everything that, you know, I'll, go, I'll use Nike as an example, but everything they do is driven by some very interesting insights that then you can pull from to create the story. And then the design starts. Like if somebody's sketching and drawing, and, and it happens all the time, and I think it's totally fine if you love to draw and sketch and you have ideas about piecing things together in new ways, like that's great and, and keep doing it. But I, my advice to all young designers is, you know, really understand sort of the why. I mean, that's part of the name of my business is how and why. Um, and it's because you have to have a basis from, you know, human values or cultural shifts, some kind of insight from there to build the, product around like if you just have a what without a how and why it doesn't there's there's no there's not necessarily a reason that it should be in the market there's not necessarily a reason that somebody else can't do just the exact same thing you're doing like it really should be built um, from a deeper place so to me the story is everything and to me that's the most exciting part about design right why design stuff just to get your sort of artistic drive out you know and, and just sketching like really have a reason why you're building something for someone to help with a problem that they might have to solve something or maybe help them um, express their you know individual uniqueness but whatever it is I, I really do believe that the story does drive everything and should and and is the most exciting part of design it's crazy that a lot of people don't i mean i feel like the big big companies finally started to realize like I, I need to spend time in story and I'm not just talking about uh, the sneaker industry or anything mm-hmm. like that but it, it, if you look outside of it story I mean all of the Super Bowl commercials there's always some type of story that is kind of grabbing at the hearts the the oh gosh are they called Clydesdales from Budweiser oh, right. yeah. Yep, yep. yeah so <laughs> like that that story has been built for so many years that I just assume there's going to be a Budweiser Clydesdale commercial every every year during the Super Bowl and there's going to be some type of story because that's what that's what that is and I think just looking back at your work from all of your stops it feels like there is that element of story like you said is is instrumental in in the growth so um, for any designer or anybody that's really trying to uh, hone in on a story do you do you have uh, a for sure like hey this is this is what I go to when I'm trying to build a story is there something creatively that helps you um, kind of build that out Uh, I think a few things Um, I love to do sort of the I love to think about the, the future, so what's coming, the emerging future. So I'll read a lot of different trend reports. And when I say trend reports, I don't mean as much the sort of seasonal color palette trend reports that you know most designers that work in, in the industry will see. I'm, I'm talking more about like maybe like a McKinsey type of business report or mm-hmm. um, some other sort of like future cast on 
like what's happening in culture and how is it changing? And there's a lot of different places to get those, but those will get me thinking about like sort of where we're going to, right? And then I'm trying to bridge the gap between where we are now and where we're going. And so that will spark a lot of ideas, just understanding how the world is going to be different. Um, but another thing is talking to people. Like just, I think people are afraid to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where you're going to get a lot of the sort of the, the human part of the equation of the story, right? So everybody has a different lived experience. And those tell our own individual stories. And when we make products for somebody like, and we're, we're mass producing these products, like it, it's really hard to connect that to some person's individual story. So I think the more that we can talk and understand and learn sort of like whether it's a problem again we're trying to solve or just something that might delight somebody talking with people I mean we do a lot um, you know in my business a lot of times a client will have a, a product and they've got a technology and they're pretty excited about it and I said well let's let's just get those insights and so we'll have you know whether it's a, a you know a big survey or a zoom call you know where you get a bunch of people on or talking to maybe athletes who are in extremes of their sports, like whatever it is, depending on the product, um, those are really valuable. And they always uncover something new that I haven't, you know, I hadn't thought of because it wasn't part of my lived experience. So I think that's really key is like, don't be afraid to talk to people. And it's not so much as like a focus group where you've de- designed something and put it on a table and have a bunch of people behind a mirror, you know, <laughs> looking and commenting like that's, <laughs> That's, that's too late, right? You want those insights early on um, that sort of drive what the design is all about. It's interesting you say talk to people because it seems like such a, a simple thing for, to the blind eye. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, go, go talk to somebody new today. Or <laughs> um, I, I just think people might have an issue with that point coming out of quarantine because everybody's so stuck inside right now and so used to, I'm just going to talk to my significant other or Mm -hmm. my cat or my dog. Whereas I feel like we're just, we're just in this point where people really have to just kind of take, take control of, Hey, I I need to be creative. So I'm going to go outside or I'm going to call my mom and we're going to have a conversation and hopefully something sparks something up. And uh, recently, I I went with my mom has MS and uh, she uses uh, a m- massive brace with her uh, with her I think it's her right leg. And I went with her to get the brace refitted uh, for some shoes. And I'm not trying to give out free promotion on the podcast, but uh, the, I bought her a pair of New Balances and it, it was perfect for the prosthetic that she uses. Yep. And um, I started, I got to talking with my mom, I got to talking with the doctor and both of them just were, basically it, it got the, the creative ju- juices flowing in me because I'm sitting here and my mom's like, yeah, I can't find a, a good pair of a good pair of nice looking shoes uh, for my that fit my brace and the doctor says yeah that's an issue for everybody and none of these brands seem to care and I'm sitting here like damn like that's a massive market this this doctor is driving around in 
uh, G-Class Mercedes. So she's obviously making some money. There's obviously a need for her. So And there's obviously a need for this. So th- just, just kind of taking myself out of my element and doing something as simple as taking my mom to the doctor got my creative juices flowing. And yeah. that's it, it can be so simple. Right. It is. I, I think you're right. And, um, you know, and everybody's on social media. So why not make that a, um, you know, a platform to actually be social and, and, you know, find a way to talk to people, you know, and, and, uh, you know, just be creative with new ways, given that, you know, we can't just go out and about and talk to a group of people at once, but, um, it's really important. And, uh, and on the, on the side note with what you talked about with your mom, we, we have something very much in common. My mom also has a neurological problem with her leg and wears one of those same braces. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so we have something <laughs> in common there. And, and yes, uh, I've often put her in New Balance shoes for sure. Oh, gosh. My mom is now just – she gave away all her shoes this weekend um, that don't fit the brace. And now she's scouring the New Balance website and sending me different things for yes. Christmas. So Yeah. Uh, New Balance will take a, a little bit of my money for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But going into uh, what you're working on today, uh, and we'll get we'll get back on the sneaker subject a little bit later on, but going back to what you're working on today, you, you said you're on the board for women in sports tech. And mm-hmm. I, I, I really want to hit on that because there's a, I mean, sp- the sports industry is a massive industry. And when you think of sports uh, and to the outside eye, it's athletes or that's it. And for me, I have a sports management degree to anybody that's listening for the first time. And <clears throat> excuse me, I had some issues getting into the industry, um, whether that be because of my skin color or anything like that is besides the point. But what about women in sports tech? Are you what about? Yeah. What about women in sports tech that are you most excited for? Ah, um, so many things, but I, I think this is a burgeoning industry, you know, and it's, it's, it's exploding and, um, there's so much happening in sports tech and it's pretty broadly defined, especially, well, for women in sports tech, we define it broadly from what I do in sneaker design to somebody, you know, coding, um, analytics to people in biomechanical engineering to, you know, lots and lots of people doing stats um, there's just so many different things. And I think that um, we are just excited to show, to expose these careers because they're there. They're just the ratio between men and women is, is very different. And so um, there's, we think that part of it is just exposing these careers to people. And then um, we do, we have a lot of different types of content. We have um, a webinar series for people that are sort of probably already in the industry or just getting into the industry where they can, um, you know, learn about sort of tips and tricks about how people got into the sports tech industry to begin with. Um, We have a leadership series of uh, written content on the website where, um, you know, you learn from leaders in the sports industry and, you know, how how they learned over the time. And their experiences, so you kind of get it like a more advanced view from a different angle. We have fellowships that we give to uh, girls, uh, women in um, college and grad school. And um, in fact, those the applications are about to open up. So anyone listening, if you're in grad school or in college and um, looking for one of these fellowships, uh, it's a paid um, fellowship during the summer 
to work for a sports tech company. And um, so those are opening, I believe it's December 15th, the applications are opening. And um, so those are really exciting opportunities. And what we think is, you know, ultimately, like if you, um, you need to see it to be it. And um, so we're just trying to keep, you know, make that exposure wide in all different sort of formats. Um, so it's really exciting. And I've met the most amazing people through these fellowships. Um, a lot of the young women, you know, just want to have, even if I'm not their mentor, they just want to have a conversation or two um, just to, you know, sort of rack my brain about how I got into the industry, how I dealt with things that maybe women have to deal with that are different than men. Um, so that's, that's all, you know, what we do with women in sports tech. And then I mentioned the um, women in sports tech next gen initiative which is bringing uh, this awareness and exposure and, you know, trying to enlighten and inspire and empower young women who don't even, who definitely aren't seeing these careers and have no idea they exist, but maybe they're really into sports, whether they play sports or watch sports or anything like it's part of their passion, but they don't know what to do in their career um, or girls who really like STEM studies or may, you know, any of the above, like mix that up and you have a lot of different interesting career options that they just don't have exposure to. And so that's what we're doing with um, this next gen initiative is um, bringing that content. And right now we have uh, video interviews, um, which are called discover sports tech, you know, just to even figure out what it is and learn from people that are in it and all different types of jobs. And um, we are also about to start some new um, sort of directions that that's going to go to kind of grow the community. We have these amazing alliances and partnerships that we have to um, to make sure this outreach goes to underserved communities as well. So we are sort of trying to keep it broad um, and really get young women excited about this industry. And it's not, you know, we don't exclude young men either. You know, they're, they, they can watch all of the same content. Um, we're just, you know, ensuring that we're inviting uh, young women to the table and, and having their voices be heard. I think, I mean, it's extremely important that we we do just that, and everything that you're you're doing is something that me as a young man trying to get into the industry. I wish I had access to the things you were doing. You're doing now, um, because I probably wouldn't have just been forced in, or pigeonholed myself into sales, and I probably would have got into something else um, within the sports industry had I just had that education. Like, hey. Uh, you're good at talking, but you can also do this, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's that. It it'll be something that is extremely important to. I mean, hopefully, thousands of people getting into the industry. Where where can people find out more about women in sports tech? Yeah, um, it's uh, womeninsportstech.org. Oh, awesome! And who developed that website? Oh, well, I designed the website. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, I did. I had um, some partners helping, you know, with writing of the content and, you know, a really amazing team there uh, of just kind of making sure that all the stories that we wanted to tell were were there. And, um, you know, it was really fun project to design the website and to have that sort of, you know, the, the look and the feel and everything come together, the big story. That's awesome. I, I want to hit on something with with you uh for our next topic it's entrepreneurship and more specifically it's being a woman entrepreneur it, it's something that we've talked about on this podcast with many of people and many many guests and it's something that's 
everybody's experience is different. So what's been your experience as an entrepreneur? What's been your experience uh, even in the corporate environment as a woman? Hmm. <laughs> so many. I think, um, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about why I started my own business and I, I, I'm not entirely sure it's necessarily specific to me being a woman, but I think it's more that um, the types of work that really I get really passionate about and I get excited about, they, they sort of span the, um, the whole spectrum from sort of these insights to the, you know, maybe building a roadmap of product to designing the product itself to thinking about how it might launch and some communications. And like that doesn't seem to exist necessarily inside a corporation in one position. And, and that's great, you know, so everybody has their specialties. But I think I get excited about all of the above. And so part of why I um, started my own business was, was that, that I really wanted to sort of, you know, be a part of a broader sense of the whole product making uh, world. And so that was one of the you know, reasons, I, you know, but another impetus was, I mean, I was, when I started my own business, I was uh, a mom to a toddler at the time. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of juggling and a lot of, you know, oh, yeah. um, you know, it's not that I didn't work for places that were, you know, fine with juggling, <laughs> you know, being a working parent, but it's hard. And so I, I think another reason I, I did start my own business was it definitely gave me more flexibility. And so those two things um, are what sort of prompted me to start off on my own. Um, but then building the business over time, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think I, I do probably feel less, um, I do think less about being a, you know, being a woman than I did when I was, you know, inside, um, some of the businesses, but I, I think every place is different and it really depends because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I was at Nike, for instance, I had a, a mentor and manager who was a great ally. So I would call him one of the sort of enlightened male allies. And so I, you know, I thrived when I was at Nike Bauer because, you know, I had the right sort of manager in place. And in fact, I left and went to seventh generation to, you know, as he recruited me at the next place. Um, but then there's other places where you, you might, you know, I, I certainly witnessed as a consultant, um, uh, there are places where I would see, whether it was myself or other women, I think um, a lot of times because, and I don't know if it's just because it's designed, but I think every position um, is, you know, everybody feels a little bit of competitiveness when they're in a business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm still trying to put my finger on it, but I'm not entirely sure if there's this, you know, thing that goes back to our roots when we were younger, where, you know, a boy and a girl would race when they were in elementary school and, the, you know, you couldn't lose to a girl. That would be really bad, right? Like, that's how it was looking. <laughs> and I always wonder if there's some of that, because I do see inside businesses at times, not with everybody, there'll be, you know, a time where you can see uh, a woman really doing really well and, and not not succeeding as much as she should. And then she leaves and goes to another place where her talents are rec recognized and then she does amazing. And so, um, you know, and, and you just don't know because that could just be, you know, it could have nothing to do with her be being a woman at all or it could have everything. And, and it's, there's a lot of nuances, so I don't know that we can say for sure. But um, as an entrepreneur, I've definitely enjoyed the, um, the flexibility and the, um, 
the being able to choose the kind of work that I do and the being able to build relationships with the clients that I really like and making those long term, um, you know, that's, that's been amazing for me. And I think that's amazing probably for anybody, no matter what gender you are. I love that. I think entrepreneurship is already tough. Uh, you, you add the, uh, the parenting and everything on top of it. And it just, it, you have to focus on your mental well being. So on an everyday basis, you've been, uh, according to your LinkedIn, you've been doing this uh, entrepreneurship for 11 years. Yeah. How do you, how, how do you, how do you refocus mentally? How do you, or when do you know, hey, it's it's time for me to put this stuff down and just take a, a quick break? Oh, oh, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I don't put anything down ever. And so it's a big problem in my life. Um, no, I really, I, um, I think it's hard and I don't, you know, I would like maybe you to tell me some advice on this, but I um, always... I just dig and dig and dig. So I'm maybe well known from, you know, previous, I know one of my previous managers said this about me in, in a review and something like she'll just keep digging. And, and in a way, in that way, it was considered a positive thing because we were doing some really interesting research and sustainability and future concepts. But I, I don't, when I get into, or I see something that's not um, answered, a problem that needs to be solved, I like to dig and learn more and more and more. And so I do that in my work. I do that in my health. Like I am constantly researching, you know, the, the healthiest foods and diets and this and that, I'm like really passionate about eating well. Um, I do it on I'm sort of like whether it's educating my child, you know, I, um, I think I was telling somebody recently that I, I'm always reading three books at once. Um, so one is always a, you know, something about business. So it depends on my mood. Like if I'm reading before I go to bed, like, uh, um, if I, you know, if I'm in the mood to think about business a little bit more, I'll read something. And usually it's something about sort of startups or the business world. Um, and then one will be about parenting. There's always something I feel like I'm not quite doing right in that camp. <laughs> and then, um, one will always be um, something to get my mind off everything. And, uh, often I go to that book because, I mean, really, ultimately, I will keep thinking all night long and, and, and even in my dreams and try to, <laughs> to solve problems. So it is hard to turn it off. Um, and, you know, I think it just depends on the on the personality. So it's something I am actually working on. <laughs> what three books are you reading right now? Oh, well, that's a good question. Um, uh, one, the business book is a little bit older. Uh, it's called Zero to One. Okay. And you know, so it's sort of like a, the sort of go-to startup book I guess and I am so with a parenting book what am I reading right now for parenting oh introvert yes my daughter is an introvert so um and I am I, I think I am a little but not nearly as much as she is so I'm learning all about um introverts <laughs> and then the um book for relaxation I have a few um this one is on stoicism I wish I remembered the name Ooh. of it but I don't but um quite interested in, I think probably because it's the opposite of my personality. So <laughs> I'm like, maybe if I just understand that philosophy a little bit more, um, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> what are your favorite books? Oh, favorite books. Um, I, I love, there's an old book. Um, I was just on another webinar and, and, and talked about this one as well. It's an old book for design um, called The Ice Palace That Melted Away. 
And that is, um, it was written by Bill Stumpf, who's a famous furniture designer who has since passed. Uh, he designed the Herman Miller Aeron chair, um, but it was a designer for, you know, for his whole life. And he wrote this book about sort of bringing civility into design. And I think it, a lot of what I'm talking about today, when I talk about how and why and thinking about things in terms of human values and cultural shifts and really trying to make things better. Like, I, I think that's his book sort of became my philosophy and that, you know, we don't just have to make stuff or make stuff look good or sort of work a little bit better, but we can actually re really rethink things in terms of civility. And I, I just love that idea. Um, so that's one of my favorites. And then, uh, I mean, there's so many, I mean, there's like influential books, um, Cradle to Cradle for me was an influential book. I mean, these are some older ones, but um, I saw Michael Brongart um, speak and um, it really sort of, or sorry, Bill McDonough, that's who I saw. Bill McDonough speak. I think that they both co-wrote that book, I think. And um, he spoke at a design conference many years ago, but it really affected me way before anybody was talking about sustainability um, he had a very powerful speech and I started to think about the world in a whole new way. It's a way that I think most young people think about today, right? You know, in mm -hmm. terms of waste and all of that, but that was, um, it was an important book that I read, um, that sort of impacted, uh, my thinking about design and sustainability, a big part of the reason why I went to seventh generation and left the industry for a little while. Um, and then, and I always like to recommend biomimicry, um, which is, you can read the book or you can go to the website biomimicry.org and learn everything you can about the fact that nature creates conditions conducive for life. So everything designed in nature um, is, uses you know, sunlight or some natural source as its energy and um, produces no waste. There is no waste in nature. Mm. And so we have this amazing sort of um, teacher that's around us all the time if we actually paid more attention we could design everything differently and certainly um, at least, you know, think um, in new ways about methods of make and um, the importance of like really trying to, whether it's closing the loop or even getting to the place where you're um, creating regenerative um, designs, which really means, you know, working with materials, you know, or farming practices or whatever that um, actually make the world a better place, improve the planet, instead of just closing the loop and not creating you know, any harm, you can actually potentially be creating things that um, are you know, helpful for wellness. And so there's just so many big ideas in the concept of biomimicry that um, I think everybody should sort of think about and you know, in the design world, especially like, you know, we're, we're making stuff all the time and it's not always good how we make it or where it ends up when it's done. Um, so there's, there's new ways to think about it. And, and it's not like all of that has been figured out yet. These are extremely complex systems to solve. And mm -hmm. so we need all these new creators to come out and, you know, start thinking in new ways. And so that, that's how I would recommend, you know, for a young person who's really excited about design, think about it in new ways by maybe reading a couple of those books. I think that's a perfect segue to a different conversation, but sustainability, mm -hmm. um, specifically in the footwear industry, it's it's almost like 
I, I won't call it go as far as call it a buzzword right now, but it's a it's a hot word in marketing, mm-hmm. and um, you see these brands coming out with different versions of sustainable footwear, but do you think we're doing as much as we can to actually make footwear sustainable? I think that some companies are, and um, I think that innovation takes a long time, especially something Mm -hmm. as complex. And so I'll start by saying everybody took a little bit too long to get to the table on this one. (laughs) I remember leaving the industry and spending three something years at seventh generation and then started consulting again um, and working with a, you know, a brand and thinking, wow, you guys have done nothing (laughs) because that's all I thought about for three years. Um, And so, you know, there was, you know, they started a little late, but there are definitely a few companies, um, probably more than a few that are putting a lot of um, work into it. But what we see, we do see a lot of greenwashing out there and in some cases where they'll tout the one sort of minor sustainable thing that they're, they're, they're doing and, and put it as the big story. Um, whereas if you're, you know, really knowledgeable about the stuff, you'll realize, well, that's just the baby step towards what really should and could be done. Um, so that's happening. But there are companies putting, you know, innovation into it, but it's going to take a while. I mean, this is uh, really big changes. Like we've made footwear the same way with the same types of machines and the same types of materials for years and years and years and years. And now we'd really have to rethink absolutely everything in that whole system. And so, um, I, you know, I applaud the companies that are putting resources against it because in order to innovate, you have to take risks and risks means putting money and people and resources against stuff that might not make it to market mm-hmm. and probably will take a few years. I mean, a normal product takes 18 months and that's with no innovation at all, right? Or very little innovation. So, um, so now you're talking, you know, in, for anybody doing bigger innovation, you're talking three years at the low point and, you know, to 10 years um, that, you know, is likely in some of these big systemic changes. And um, very few companies have the patience to put money and resources against something that might have a, say, five to 10 year lifetime before it happens. And that it, there's a risk that it might not happen because you might have gone down a direction that's just not totally plausible or manufacturable with profit. Um, and so it's, it's complicated, um, but definitely there are a few companies that are, that are putting you know, some time and money against it. And it's, it's exciting to see. And I, I know that there, you know, the, there are people behind it with some good ideas. Um, so I have optimism that it will change. I think it, they were slow to start, but there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic, but there's so much more road ahead. So like if you see a company that's their whole story is about sustainability and you really look into it and you think, well, maybe a little here and a little there, but there's like, there's a lot to be perfect here. Um, you know, don't, don't fight the, you know, don't say no and don't buy it, you know, just because it's not perfect, but also understand that, you know, you're getting a little bit of greenwashing there too. Yeah. Interesting. Well, in the footwear industry, obviously you've accomplished a ton. Uh, and obviously your work isn't close to being done, mm-hmm. uh, especially with how hardworking it sounds like you are. But uh, you type in Stephanie Howard, you get 
or you typed in on Google and you get pushed to a couple interviews, more specifically dating back to your time at New Balance um, with the 850. Do you, want, do you want to talk about that time and what that process was for you as a newer designer designing something brand new? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's fun to look back and, and think about who I was then and, and how sort of little I knew you know, and, um, and, and how it's come back full circle um, to be appreciated in a new way. You know, some of that... Um, sort of risk taking, you know, that I didn't even know I was doing maybe, <laughs> um, that, that has now been, um, you know, written about, which I'm excited, um, to see. But at the time, I think I got to New Balance. I knew so little about the footwear industry. Like nowadays when people go into, you know, want a job in sneaker design, they, you know, they probably, you know, from high school on, or maybe when they were even younger, were really excited about sneakers, wanted to get into the industry, figured out where and how to get their education and, and get a job. And I literally did, didn't think about sneakers much. You know, I wore them and I bought some, for, but I was just not, I mean, it wasn't something I knew anything about. So I was just a newbie of all kinds when I went to New Balance. And like I said, I had these great mentors there, you know, this, these wonderful people on the team who were, you know, happy to spend time and, and teach me the, the trade. Um, but I, you know, I remember in the beginning, you know, struggling even a little bit with um, the product manager that I had at the time early on, um, sort of questioning and not having confidence in my design work. And I was too young and inexperienced to know whether I should have confidence in my design work because, you know, I didn't have any, you know, successes on my plate yet to, to have that confidence. And so early on, it was... Um, I was just exploring, you know, how and where I could get creative with the constraints that I was given. And, and so during that particular process, I remember we, you know, we were lucky because we got pushed a little bit to be a little bit less conservative. Um, you know, the, the developer and I who were working on the project, um, you know, would talk about, like, you know, what that means to be less conservative because the, the predecessor to that, I think, was the 750, I think, designed by um, Brian Keating. And, um, and so he had already pushed it a little bit, but the, you know, the logo was still in the middle and all that, but he was doing some new things. And so I t took it one more step and started just sketching really freely. I think I felt really constrained. And so I was going, you know, sort of very free form, had tons of sketches. And, you know, this one started to rise to the top. And of course, the end logo wasn't there. And so I was thinking about putting it in a different place and having it in a new, you know, very different from what we were typically, you know, used to, which is the big giant end logo in the center of the, the side of the shoe. And so I um, remember, you know, speaking with my manager at the time and we said, well, let, you know, brands evolve and um, there's a, some good history that we could learn and use those as a benchmark to show, um, Jim Davis, who is, you know, the owner of New Balance, um, you know, kind of take him through this idea of an evolution of the brand. I wasn't, you know, changing the end. In fact, my, my design was a, what we called the flying N. Um, and I, you know, on the, on the new re-release, they put an ND on there, which is their standard logo. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's, I'm not entirely sure why they did that. But um, at the time, what we did was we created a flying N, you know, and, and, and proposed so I had to go to a meeting with my manager and Jim Davis and propose and show him 
some of these uh, evolved logos and how they've evolved over the years, how they're, you know, not, not big changes, but evolutions. And so, um, you know, he was, he's a really, um, you know, entrepreneurial, independent thinker. So he was, you know, happy to, you know, give, give me the chance to, to make it work. And so that, um, that was the beginning of like a lot of freedom that we had on the team. You know, there were a lot of really interesting designs that came out of that at the time. Um, and then right just after that, there was this trend that we started seeing in some of the cities of, um, of people wearing the really old school retro, you know, it was kind of 70s New Balance, you now known as like the original dad sneaker. Um, <laughs> and so those always, those were like really old school patterns and they had the big N logo on them. And so that started to come around. So like maybe a couple years later, we're seeing that be the trend. And so ultimately, um, there was just probably like two to three years of us moving the logo around and doing all this interesting stuff. And then that retro trend was huge. And so, you know, New Balance became known for being, you know, cool because it had these retro sneakers. And so the end ended up back on the center of the shoes for many, many years to come after that. And I had already left um, by then. I, I, um, in 1997, I had left New Balance to go to Reebok. Um, but, uh, but it's great to see how, you know, what I had enough courage to kind of push forth without a lot of um, sort of experience to back it up, but that, you know, that they had the, the leadership there was willing to support it and give it a go. And, and it was, you know, successful at the time. And now, yay, many years later has success again. <laughs> That's amazing. I read the, the number of interviews uh, based off of uh, the 850 and I'm going to say the N looks so much better without the B. That said, <laughs> I did just pick up a pair of 850s, so mm -hmm. uh, the re-release of them. Yeah. But there's, I think a lot of people would have gone in the, into that situation and not looked outside the box. Mm. And it goes to show you, um, goes to show anybody listening right now, just based off this entire conversation we just had, that you can't be afraid to take chances. You can't be afraid to put yourself out there. Right. And whether you're just getting started in the industry or you're a student of a new industry, you have to be able to take chances in order to open some new doors for yourself. I mean, look at what it amounted to you. It amounted to a job at Reebok. It amounted to a job after that to seventh generation Nike and now an entrepreneur for 11 years. Mm -hmm. And it's it's an amazing situation when you just kind of for lack of better terms just take a chance on yourself yeah i agree and i think um you know maybe i was lucky at the time because my um my manager um her name was edith harman you know stepped in and said hey do some research and you know talk about how this evolved so right so it was like stepping out there and taking a risk but having it backed up by some you know educational materials that really helped to bring that story to life. So you know, in a way, she should get credit as well because that's you know it's there's there's risk taking, but there's sort of like the the smart way to do it versus the you know the maybe just all ego way to do it. <laughs> so I highly recommend the you know sort of backing everything up with sort of an educated reason. You know, I've talked mm -hmm. about like really under trying to figure out what that emerging future is and start figuring out how you're pulling yourself from where you are to that, like have that information fall in. So you're not just like, Hey, I drew this and I love it. And it's totally different. Let's go with it. 
Um, instead, mm -hmm. you should say, hey, the future looks like this. I, you know, I can show you that vision here, what the future looks like, and I can show you how we can get there. And this is one product on the map to get there. That's exciting. That gets people interested. And it shows that you're designing um, not just as an artist, you know, trying to create something for yourself, but you're really thinking about sort of the world when you're designing. I love that. My, the last couple minutes here, I have a few questions from the sneaker school group uh, on Facebook, but members of the sneaker school of, or students of sneaker school at Yellow Brick. And uh, the first question comes from Alden, uh, Alden Nelson. It says, how does it feel that New Balance is a beloved underrated sneaker? Should it stay, should it, should New Balance stay as that underrated sneaker or... Um, now, because of all the hype behind it, should it kind of continue to go mainstream? Um, what are your kind? Of, what are your thoughts? It sounds like what are your thoughts on New Balance going mainstream and getting all of this hype in the last few months, last year? Really, they've had an amazing year. Yeah. So I, what I like about New Balance is how independent they are in their thinking. Mm -hmm. um, so they don't just see what everybody's doing and react to that, they've always sort of figured out what's their path, you know, who they are, and they most often, you know, stick to that. And I think, um, I think it's serving them well. So I, I don't think they need to necessarily blow up and be the sort of biggest brand on the street. I think they um, are, are building something that's true to them. And so I, I think they're doing it right and should probably continue in that direction. I love that. What um, Alden also asked, can you see uh, New Balance collaborating with a high-end fashion brand like a Nike Dior or Puma Balmain uh, in the near future? And that's I think that question goes off of even their collaborations, um, obviously with the Vision Racer, with Jaden and stuff like that. Do you see uh, kind of that in their future? Do you think, hey, let's let's just stay, let's stay true to us, like you said, and yeah. uh, kind yeah, of ride, ride that wave? I do. I think, you know, if they're going to going to have an alliance, it should be a strategic alliance, like some yeah. um, artist or designer, or, you know, famous athlete or person like somebody who feels like their their roots align with the roots of the brand. And that's just the smartest way for them to have collaborations, because, you know, they they are you know, able to call the shots on you know how they grow and where they do it and i think they should always be strategic and, and i think they are yeah star asia asked um and this will be the last one from yellow brick how has your life changed since you started at new balance <laughs> Jeez, that's like half my life so i think um, <laughs> everything's changed um i well let's just i say guess in the professional yeah. manner no I, I i agree i i think um one thing, uh, maybe not all new uh, people or people outside the industry probably don't know is, you know, other than years of COVID, one thing you get to do in footwear is travel the world. And mm -hmm. so I came out of college never having traveled anywhere outside of, I suppose I'd gone to Canada once. <laughs> uh, and, and that was it, you know, from the U.S., um, and I got to go to many, many different countries in Asia, all over Europe. And I really just had amazing experiences seeing other cultures and um, just understanding the world in a much broader context. So that's one way. Um, and that was, you know, you know, 
certainly as I got older and, you know, and had more income, I was able to travel some of those trips on my own. Um, but a lot of it early on was paid for, you know, as part of the job. And um, I really appreciated that uh, for sure. That 100% changed me in terms of just my outlook and perspective. Um, and, you know, other things, I think just the, the years that I've put in, the, the confidence that I've built because I know more from each place or each interaction with a client. Um, you know, I certainly didn't know everything I know now about sort of gaining insights and, um, you know, how to talk to people to get those insights and how to turn those into stories and what, what makes a really great vision for a brand and how to do, you know, design language based off of these visions, like all of that, like that's not, you know, maybe you could take a class <laughs> and, and they can teach you all that. But I think a lot of it just comes from experience. And so mm -hmm. I've been very fortunate to, you know, have all these years behind me now of experience. And I, and I very, um, very much appreciate all that I learned at each place. In fact, one time I built a timeline. Um, I suppose it was part of my resume or something. And I kind of said, you know, originally I just knew industrial design in terms of like the base knowledge of what they taught me at school. And then, you know, I grew from that, you know, where I learned about sort of management and design language, you know, and, and, from there, I learned um, the insights, and from there, I learned about sustainability, and you know, and it just keeps piling up. Um, and so, I think that's what it is. Like, you know, maybe as a young person, um, you know, be as you know passionate and educated about everything that you're doing now, but know that it's going to keep growing, and there's more experiences to come that you have to re you know, really have to look forward to. Stephanie, when it's when it's all said and done, what impact do you want to leave on the world? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I I would like to think that I, where I hope in my future I can continue to use creativity and creative thinking to solve problems. So um, you know, I'm just as passionate about you know physical product design as I am about sort of human behavior and how that relates to politics and how that relates to access to affordable housing and how that relates to sustainability and all of these things, you know, they get me thinking. And so I would like to, you know, always just make sure that, you know, if I was born with you know, some genetics that, you know, gave me creativity, and I think we all are, um, but I'm lucky enough to use them in my work, that, uh, you know, I, I hope that I can, you know, impact and, and try to solve problems like really understanding human values and um, and how we can make a difference for the better in, in all places, not just a physical product design. I love that. Where can uh, where can people find out more? Where can people follow your work? Um, obviously, we we covered that for women in sports tech, but mm -hmm. where can people find out more about Stephanie? Sure. So um, on social, I'm on Instagram. It's at Stephanie underscore how and why. Uh, and so I'm, you know, I don't post super prolifically, but I, I keep up with uh, some of the latest stuff that I'm doing on there. And then uh, my business website is howandwhy.biz, B-I-Z. Awesome. Well, Stephanie, thanks for jumping on the Strange on Purpose podcast. Uh, this was great. We're going to have to do it again sometime. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It was really fun. Yo, thanks for listening to today's episode. Again, I want to thank you for listening to the Strange on Purpose podcast. 
And if you haven't already, please review the podcast. It helps me a ton. Subscribe or follow us on Instagram at Strange on Purpose.